0: Matthew chapter nineteen. We'll be um, will be in verse twenty seven. Matthew nineteen twenty seven. Uh, it just seems lately as I've been praying about this service and and uh, speaking with people, getting phone calls, asking you know people wanting to speak to a pastor, um, people coming to the church needing to talk to a pastor. I've been coming across. This topic quite a bit, and so then in just praying about this service, I just really felt the Lord uh, impress upon my spirit to say, go here, go here. So, you ever ask the question, hey, what's in it for me? You ever, you ever ask that question? I mean, I know businesses operate that way, don't they? I mean, they don't do a deal unless there's something good in it for them, right? Yeah, you know, and, and really, people in the church, we tend to develop that same kind of attitude. Well, what's in it for me? And we, we take a look at it, you know, in, in every single uh, way, shape, and form. Well, God, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? And, and Peter asked that same question. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, uh, we read here. It says, Peter said to him, and this is Jesus. He and the disciples and Jesus have been talking. And Peter said to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get out of it? You see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, Jesus, we've, we've, we've left our lives to follow you. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? You ever ask God that question, what's in it for me? Do we serve God for nothing? No. It's not a bad question to ask all the time. I mean, I mean, doesn't God tell us there's a reward for seeking him? The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, it says this. Now, faith is with, uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those for seeking him. Right? So we we don't believe God for nothing. There is something in it for us. God says there's a reward for those who seek him. Think about King David in the Old Testament. He asked the question, what's in it for me? Remember this? Look to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David's just bringing some cheese to his brothers at the battle line. And he comes up and uh, he says, what's going on here? And we jump into verse 25 and the men say, have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Now, the next verse, verse 26, <clears throat> David talked to some of the others standing there to verify the, port, the report. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and putting an end to his abuse of Israel, he asked him. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In essence, David asked, hey, wait a second. What's in it for me if I kill this giant? Isn't there a reward? Isn't there something coming if I do this thing? What's in it for me? It's not a bad question to ask. The rewards for believing in God, more directly, the rewards for believing in Jesus Christ. And and the work that he did for you and I on the cross... Those rewards are immense, they're immediate, they're awesome. Let's just talk about a few for a second. How about forgiveness of sins? It's an amazing reward in it for us, for believing in God. How about freedom from guilt and shame? You ever experienced that in your life? Freedom from guilt and shame, freedom from condemnation. It's a reward for believing in God. That's what's in it for you. Physical healing. It's another one we preach about all the time. Physical healing, it's a reward. That's what's in it for you if you believe in Jesus Christ. Peace in the inner man. A sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance. We're no longer orphans, the Bible says. We're adopted into a family. That's what's in it for us who believe, right? Yet the rewards that God has for us go way beyond these few examples. In fact, Jesus in his response to Peter explains it a little bit further. Let's continue reading. Matthew chapter 19. Let's pick up at verse 28. Jesus said to them, I assure you, in the Messianic age... When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, if you're like me, (laughs) your brain locked onto one hundred times more. How many of you guys, that jumped out to you? 100 times. If you leave, you get 100 times more. Why is that? Well, most of us are really, really concerned with the here and now. I mean, I mean we kinda, that's how we go through life, isn't it? Like, well, what do I got to do today? What crisis do I have to handle today? What fire do I got to put out today? What, uh, you know, what game do I got to take the kid to today? What job do I got to get? All that kind of stuff. We live for the here and now. We don't think about, about life after too often. So we lock on to this 100 times more in life, in this life? That sounds like a good thing. That sounds like a reward, right? Well, let's draw our attention to a couple principles, though, that Jesus makes clear to his answer here in Peter. First of all, the first principle is this. There is a reward here in this life. How many of you would agree? There's a reward in this life for serving Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, you will be convinced otherwise by the end of this thing, okay? Second of all, though, the second principle is that this. There's a purpose to God's rewards. God doesn't do anything without a purpose, right? Why was a hammer created? Because there was a need to drive a nail into some wood, right? Why was Jesus sent to the earth? There was a purpose for him coming. In the fullness of time, he came. Why? To redeem us from our sins. So everything that God does, he does with a purpose in his mind. And there's a purpose to his rewards, Jesus says. Let's continue reading in Matthew because, again, when this was first written, There wasn't chapters and verses, it was just one long narrative. So let's continue reading Matthew and we'll see how Jesus draws this out. Matthew chapter 20 verse 1, he gives his disciples a parable to illustrate that there is a reward in this life and that there is a purpose for the rewards. Let's read. Matthew 20 verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and he sent them out to work. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. At noon and again around 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that evening, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? Well, they replied, because no one hired us. So the owner of the estate told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. Now, when those hired at five o'clock were paid, they each received a full day's wage. So when those hired earlier came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they, too, were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested, those people worked only one hour, yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be angry because I am kind? And so it is that many who are first now will be last then, and those who are last now will be first then. Now in this parable, Jesus exposes the shortcomings in our flesh in regards to his rewards, we typically tend to look at rewards in a self-serving manner. What's in it for me? Well, how much are you going to pay me? How much do I have to do to get that? It's like I was only buying free apps, free games on my phone, because the boys always want games to play. And they were bored with the free ones. They said, "I ain't paying any money for some game on my phone you want a game that costs money give me some of your allowance so we (laughs) so joel decided that he didn't need the 599 pro football game he could deal with the 99 cent college football game when he realized what you mean i gotta do something for that we look at rewards in a self-seeking manner don't we we usually get real selfish real quick. The next thing that we do is we tend to falsely believe we deserve a greater reward than we do. These guys agreed to work for a full day's wage, didn't they? Isn't that what we just read? Yet, at the end of the day, they, all, they start to believe that they deserve more. And you and I are the same way. It's, 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 a, it's the failings of our flesh. It's how we tend to live and operate that, man... You know, I want to get a reward, and I want it for me. <laughs> and I want more. I want more. Peter asked the question of Jesus, Lord, what's in it for me? And Jesus taught his disciples, and he teaches you and I, two principles to live by. So we're going to look at those. The first principle is this, that God rewards his faithful people, get ready, with increased responsibility. Now, I know you all want to clap, you all want to shout, woo! <laughs> Wait, maybe you didn't hear that, so I'll give you another chance. God rewards his faithful people with increased responsibility. Yeah, see, you're still not buying it. Why? Because responsibility is offensive to this old flesh. I'm just going to tell you. But it's true. Look at this. Okay, let's go back to Jesus' response to Peter's first question, what's in it for me? Jump back to Matthew chapter 19. Verse 28, Jesus said, I assure you, in the messianic age, well, let's skip that. Let's just go to the verse 29. He says, anyone who's left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields because of my name, will receive 100 times more and will inherit eternal life. Jesus told Peter that anyone who's left anything for the sake of the gospel, they'll receive up to 100 times more. How many of you like the sound of receiving 100 times more? Does that sound good? Okay. Okay. Raise your hand if you have a job. Let me see. Who has a job? You're going to work tomorrow. Okay. Most of us in here. Uh, Raise your hand if you're married. Who in here is married? Okay. All right. A lot of hands go up. Who in here has children? Okay. Lots of hands go up. Okay. So let me ask you this. Tomorrow, if you go to work, and your boss says, man, you've been working so hard, so diligently, you're, so, you're, so, you're the best employee I got, so I want to reward you with a hundred times more responsibilities. How many of you are going to be happy about that? No? Okay, okay, all right, maybe that's not what Jesus was saying. How about this? Okay, you, you come home from work, all right, or well, I, well, wives, well, I'll, p- I'll pick on the wives for a second. How many of you tomorrow you would like to wake up and God says, you're such a good, faithful wife to your husband. I want to reward you. And today, you now have 100 dinners to cook and prepare for men who are coming home from work today. How many of you think that's a good reward? No? Husbands, how many of you would like to come home from work and have 100 times more wives saying, honey, I just want to talk and tell you all about my day? What? No. (laughs) Wait Wait a minute, you're laughing. Isn't that what God said he would reward us with a hundred times more? Do you think God's rewards are a little bit different than what you and I think about when we think about rewards? Yeah, God rewards his faithful people with responsibility. Whew, it's not an easy pill to swallow. I think this is probably why Mark's gospel account of this parable phrases it a little bit differently. Mark says this. In Mark chapter 10 verses 29 and 30, he says, I assure you, Jesus said, there's no one who's left house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or fields because of me and the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers, and sisters, mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. You see, we tend to not think of an increase in responsibility as a reward. Because then it requires something more of us. We laugh at the thought of having 100 more dinners to cook tomorrow night. Why? Because we know that that's going to require something of us. And oh, no, thank you. I don't want that. But God says, I reward my faithful people with responsibility. And it's not something to laugh at. It's not something to be scared of either. But why are we afraid of that? Well, people usually tend to attack or lash out or complain about the person at the top, the person in charge, the person with the responsibility. Doesn't our society today have the attitude that says, hey, I want the perks of being at the top, but I don't want any of the responsibility. Hey, you... You're making hundred thousand dollars. Well, I want fifty thousand of that, but I just want to sit here and just get it. But isn't that isn't that kind of the mentality of our society? Certain segments, anyway, I should say. We all want the pleasures of life, but no one wants the pain, do we? The problem is we pull that into the church. We forget, however, that the church is not of this world. We are not of this world. We operate according to a different set of principles because we're of the kingdom of God. Are we not? It's like the guy who comes to Christ midway through life. After being discipled for some time by his pastor, one day he asks his pastor and he comes to him and he says, Pastor, I just, man, when, I want to know this. When am I going to finally like know the Bible? And like just man have this thing with God that you have and the pastor looks at the man and he says well i got to be honest with you you're 40 years too late you see this guy wanted to spend the majority of his life just pleasing himself he didn't want he didn't want to be responsible for the things of God he didn't want to be responsible to the word of God responsible to the requirements of God so he lived his life then he comes to Christ and now he wants he wants The same thing that this pastor had. He said, Man, you're 40 years too late. Isn't that how we live, though? We want those perks, but we don't want to pay the price. Say, Okay, Nick, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of hard. I want to remind us this morning that God's kingdom works in the opposite way that the world's kingdom works. The world tells you to work hard so you can earn a break. The world tells you to work super, 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 super hard so that you can get the corner office and then take it easy and kick back and relax. In the kingdom of God, it works in the opposite direction. The harder you work, the more God gives you to do. His reward for faithfulness in the kingdom is responsibility, He says, because you're actually doing something, I know you'll get it done. Here's more to do. When I was in grade school, I hated group assignments. Hated them. Why? Because my teacher always put me with the slackers. (laughs) I had to do everything. Everything I had to do it. If I was going to get a good grade on that. And I remember talking to the teacher one time, like I'd had enough. I'm in sixth, sixth grade. I don't even know what enough is. Sixth grade, Mrs. Prendle, I can't take this anymore. This is a third group assignment in a row, and you're putting me with the slackers. Why? She said, Nick, don't you understand something? She said, if I put you with all your friends, you guys are going to get an A. You'll get an A. Your friend will get an A. That guy will get an A, that other guy will get, you will all get A's. Everyone else will fail. But if I put you in this group, and your friend in that group, and then your friend in this group, and your friend in that other group, you four will still get your A's, because I know the work that you will do. But everyone else in the class will come up higher, because you're in that group. You see, responsibility is an awesome reward that God gives us. It's incredible. It's a blessing. You don't sound convinced. Let me, let's, okay, let's look at the Bible. Let's look at the Bible. You got your Bibles? Turn to Luke chapter 19. Jesus gives us another parable To teach us that God rewards faithfulness in his kingdom with responsibility. Luke chapter 19. let you turn there for a minute. Jesus is talking, he's teaching his disciples again, and he says this. A noble man was called away to a distant empire. Luke 19 verse 12, by the way. A noble man was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten servants, and he gave them ten pounds of silver. Now, as of uh, Wednesday of this week, ten pounds of silver is $5,108.80, just so you know. He gave it to him to invest while he was gone. But as people hated him, they sent a delegation after him to say they didn't want him to be their king. When he returned, the king called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what they had done with the money and what their profits were. The first servant reported a tremendous gain, ten times as much as the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed, you are a trustworthy servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. Now the next servant also reported a good gain, five times the original amount. Well done, the king said, you can be governor over five cities but the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, I hid it and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops where you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Is that how you read? I read the Bible like that. Is that how you read the Bible? Just it. Hard I am. Hard am I? That's how it actually says there. If you knew so much about me and how tough I am, why didn't you deposit the money in the bank so I could at least get some interest on it? Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who earned the most. Now here comes our flesh in regards to reward. But master, that servant has enough already. He's got enough already. Yes, the king replied, but to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. Do you see how God wonderfully rewards his faithful men and women with the ridiculously disproportionate level of reward? This guy was faithful with $5,000. He turned it into $50,000. And the master says, hey, why don't you go be the mayor? Run 10 cities. Does that seem like disproportionate Ten cities compared to $5,000? Or f- being, being put in charge of five cities compared to faithfully stewarding $5,000? God's rewards to his faithful people, man, they, you cannot compare how great and awesome the rewards are compared to what we put into it. You can't compare it. It's like comparing apples to oranges in our mind. And God is like this with all of his rewards. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that as soon as I say, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior, he opens up his kingdom to me. That doesn't make sense to us. We're so in a a work and earn it mentality that it's hard for us to comprehend. You mean as soon as I say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins, like everything else I read about in the Bible belongs to me? Yes. Isn't that amazing? Like We don't deserve that level of a reward, but we get it, don't we? Because God's like this with all of his rewards. He immensely rewards us. He loves to spoil us. There's no comparison to what it costs me to give my life to Jesus compared to what it costs Jesus to give his life for me. There's no comparison to that. I'm reaping a a far greater reward than Jesus is. Right? Right? He's like this with all of his rewards. And the Bible is clear that the reward for faithfulness is increased responsibility. Let me ask you this. Do we gain more freedom or less freedom as our responsibilities increase? Less. Yeah. I mean, do you spend more nights out with the guys after you're married or before you're married? Before. Before. Do you spend hope, yeah, hopefully? Hopefully, <laughs> do you spend more money on yourself before you have kids or after you have kids? <laughs> you spend more money on yourself then you get married, then you never spend money on yourself again. <laughs> the kids come, it just gets worse. <laughs> if you're a godly husband, but okay, uh, let me ask you this. How much stress do you have in your life, honestly, how much stress do you have in your life, honestly, compared to how much you think President Barack Obama has to deal with on a daily basis? I guarantee you, we got less stress. We tend to live as though we have more stress. We believe we have more stress. But let's just be honest, we don't have as much stress as he does. Why? He's got increased responsibility. How much sleep do you lose at night? because you're so concerned for the welfare of this church compared to how much sleep Pastor Todd and Miss Tanya probably lose why is that we have less responsibility Do you see how the reward for being faithful is increased responsibility and I can feel it you still feel like this is a bad thing I promise you it's not. I promise you it's not. We're going to see. It's not a bad thing. It bothers us. It makes us feel uncomfortable because it's offensive to the flesh. We don't tend to look at life in the same manner as God does. But let's go back to our first parable in Matthew. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 20. You guys okay? All right. In Matthew chapter 20, in verse 10, we see, it says this, when those hired earlier came to get their pay, they assumed, well, that's the problem right there. They assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. Now jump down to the master's response at verse 14 and 15. He says, take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be angry because I am kind? I like the amplified translation. It says, is your eye evil? Because I am good. Notice how Jesus shows us that our natural way of looking at things is quite opposite of how God looks at them. We tend to see, if, we, if, we, if we're not looking through God's eyes, how we see things, we see them through angry, jealous, envious eyes. But God sees everything that he does as an act of kindness. We tend to look at things with an evil perspective, honestly, selfishly. What's in it for me? And God looks at it with an incomprehensible good perspective. This is a good thing I'm doing. It's a good thing I'm giving, God says. It's because we're so not like God yet. See, what happens is this. As soon as God begins to move in His ways, those who are unfamiliar with God become legalistic and religious. Let me say that again. When God begins to move in His ways, those who are unfamiliar with Him, unfamiliar with the goodness and kindness of the Master, become legalistic And religious. They didn't bear the burden in the hot sun all day. Their life is easier. I'm over here being faithful all my whole doggone life. Forgetting how good the master is. How good he's given it to you. We quickly forget that God is absolutely, absolutely good through and through. All that he does is good. In fact, would you just say that with me? All that God does is good. Let's say it one more time. All that God does is good, even when he gives us more responsibility. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Look, let's settle this thing right now. Every reward that God the Father gives is good and perfect. And if his reward for faithfulness is responsibility, then responsibility is a very good thing to be given. Amen? I mean, let's let's look at this picture for a minute. Look at this picture up on screen. Oh, yeah, baby, little baby in a diaper. So cute. We love it. It's so cute. You almost just like kind of take a bite out of that little roll right there. Just ah, so good and cute, right? Well, how about this next picture? Oh, no, I don't want to see that. Why? It's ugly when someone doesn't become responsible, isn't it? Oh, get that thing out of here, Miss Judy. That's scaring me. That's haunting me. It's terrible. That's a scary picture of someone who hasn't taken responsibility. But spiritually, that's what you and I look like when we refuse to take responsibility for things in the kingdom. Listen, it's cute when you first come to Christ. Man, you first come to Christ, just calm, man, just, just, just calm. Man, if you've been saved for a while... i to be growing out of them diapers. Come on. All throughout scripture, God gives us this picture that he desires to give us responsibility. Just put the references up there, Miss Judy. You can look these up or get notes later on, I'll tell you. But in Acts chapter 13, it just says this. Concerning David, God said, I found the son of Jesse, David, a man after my own heart, He will do everything I want him to do. In 2 Kings, you read about Elijah who picked up Elisha's mantle and said, I'll keep going where he left off. In Isaiah, God appears to Isaiah and says to him, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I'll take that responsibility. To Ezekiel, God said, I look for someone who would rebuild the wall, someone who would stand in the gap, but I couldn't find anyone who would be responsible In Matthew, Jesus tells us this the kingdom of God will be taken from you and will be given to those who will actually produce the fruits of it. He wants us to be responsible. It's a privilege to get to be responsible. We're created to carry responsibility, not shy away from it. Ephesians tells us this we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In fact, Ephesians 4:11 and 12 tell us this. Jesus is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. In other words, God gave us the fivefold ministry to prepare us to be responsible for ministry. It's the whole point. Are you believing me yet? Okay, so you say, all right, I get it, I get it. I have to be responsible. I have to be responsible. All right, I believe in Jesus, I gotta be responsible. What do I gotta be responsible for? Well, we just read, first of all, that you're responsible to every believer. You're responsible to build up the church, to do God's work, and to build up the body of Christ. We just read that in Ephesians. But you know, we're also responsible to the lost. I know that you know this, but I have to say it. I have to read it to you out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33 verse 2 tells us this. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of that land choose a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he blows the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, well, it's their own fault if they die. They heard the warning but wouldn't listen. So the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their deaths. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman accountable. We have a huge responsibility to one another as the body of Christ. We have a huge responsibility to the city of Lafayette who's still lost. And God is saying, I'm looking, I'm looking for a body of Christ. I'm looking for people who will be responsible and say, I'm not afraid. I can trust that everything that you do, God, is good. Everything that you give me, God, is good. And if you give me responsibility, it's a good thing for me to have. What's in it for me? Responsibility's in it for you if you're faithful to God. It's a good thing. It's good that God gives us something that drives us to need him more, isn't it? I thought I knew how to pray and then I got married I love you baby but it's a huge responsibility to be faithful to my wife I gotta be honest it's it's bigger than I can do in my own strength and this responsibility of a beautiful bride causes me to say oh God I need some more of you If I'm going to be responsible, I've got three amazing kids. It's an incredible responsibility, and it's a good thing God gave me because it draws me to say, hey, God, it's me again. (laughs) I still need a whole lot of help with them kids. Come on, God knows what he's doing when he rewards us with responsibility. So the first principle to remember today is that this, God rewards his faithful men and women with responsibility. Oh, it's good to know. And Jesus explains the second principle that we need to live by, which is this. Responsibility is the avenue by which you and I give God glory. Responsibility is the avenue by which we can give God glory. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 20, our original parable. The workers in the vineyard. Jumping back to verse 11 again, we see this. When they received their pay, they protested, these workers who worked all day, those people only worked an hour, yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them, friend, what a gracious way God responds. They weren't being too friendly with their attitude, but Jesus says, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. The workers hired at the beginning of the day failed to see their great privilege in being asked to serve the master all day. They failed to see. I I got to partner with the master for 12 hours. Yeah, there was a lot of work. Yeah, we bore the heat of the day, but I got to be with the master 12 hours. They failed to see that they, had a, they, had, they played a, a huge role in bringing in the harvest. You know, most scholars believe that the reason why this guy went out and kept hiring people because the harvest was ripe, it was ready, it had to get in that day. So he kept going out to hire more people because he had to make sure that the harvest came in that day. And they failed to see they got to play a bigger role in the harvest, because they' given they would have been given more responsibility for a longer amount of time, how many of us fail to see that when God gives us responsibility, when God asks us to do things, we fail to see what a pleasure God of working alongside of you my whole life i mean i, I i'm not going to i 'm not, not trying to be mean or anything like this, but I've, just heard, I've heard a lot of people say, who come to Christ later in life, I've never heard them say, well, I sure am glad I just did my own thing. I'm sure thankful I was a, a knucklehead for 42 years and three months. I mean, man, my life was awesome. I mean, life with God is pretty good, but man, I'm really glad I did my own thing for 42 years. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. These workers in the vineyard missed out. They got to be with the master for longer. They got to play a bigger role in bringing in the harvest. A bigger role in bringing glory to the master. I believe that their great contribution to the successful harvest probably ensured that the master would call upon them every season thereafter. Look how these guys worked for me for 12 hours, man. They worked good. I'm going to call them next year because of the way that they were faithful. Well, if you had to... How many of you guys have to work turn earn money, to buy food, pay your house bill? Isn't it good that your boss lets you come back to work for the next pay period? It's a reward. It's a good thing. We got to see, like the kingdom of God sees, responsibility is a good thing. Why? Because it's an opportunity to give God glory. Now, how did... I mean, let's ask ourselves, how did this worker go home to his family that night? Did he go home and say, look, everyone, I went and I worked in the vineyards all day long. Man, it was hot, it was tiring, but that master paid me a full day's wages, you guys. Groceries, problem solved for the next month. Light's going to stay on, man. We got oil in the lamps. We can go buy some fresh straw, make our bed soft again. Why? Because the master let me work for 12 hours. It was awesome. That's a good master. <laughs> I wish everyone worked for that master because then the, every family would be blessed like my family. Did he go home like that? Or did he go home? Man, you guys would not believe what I've been through today. I worked 12 hours and this conniving, greedy, selfish master he only, he, he, these other guys, they only worked an hour. They, he paid them the same as me. Can you believe the nerve of that man? Paid those guys, worked one hour the same as me. And I can just see, I can just see the wife. Yeah, but honey, look how much money you, that's not the point. <laughs> yeah, but sweetheart, all our needs are met. I mean, you really need, no, sweetie, you don't understand. It's not it's not right it's the principle of the thing the, the, the principle of the thing is this the more responsibility God gives you the greater the opportunity you have to give glory to him what, what, what glory to that guy's parents who was 35 and still in a diaper what glory was he bringing to his folks man listen When we've grown old in the church without growing up, what glory are we bringing to our Heavenly Father? When we're still living in diapers, still complaining and griping, and I don't get this, and why, man, why they call me to ask for help all the time? Man, why why do I gotta, man, they want me to get there early, and they got all these events, and they're doing all this stuff. It's because you're not seeing through kingdom eyes and realizing responsibility is a gift from God to give you an opportunity to give glory to God. Don't we want to live lives that bring glory and honor to the Father? Then let's take up responsibility. Man. Think about the parable of the servants that were faithful with the silver. I mean, how would you like to be introduced to the master? Let's just say, let's just say you're walking up to meet that master. Would you rather meet him when he's in a good mood, rewarding that guy with being like, you get to rule ten cities? You'd be thinking, whoa, dude, that master's awesome. I want to work for that guy. Look at what he's done for you. You got a maid, man. Or would you like to meet that master when you're in the presence of an unfaithful servant? Hey, I want to to introduce you to my master. You wicked servant! You brought a friend to this private meeting. First of all, that's strike one. Strike number two, you weren't faithful. You didn't do anything with that money. Now give me the money you got and you can go join those other ones who hated me, didn't want me to be king anyway and you're going to go die with all of them. Oh, I don't want nothing to do with that, master. A Christian who shies away from their responsibilities in the kingdom, they're not bringing glory to God. And then they try to introduce someone to Christ. Hey, I want you to come meet Jesus. He's awesome. But, you know, they got a rotten attitude. They're just as negative as everyone else at work, just as bitter. Just of, why? Because they're not shouldering responsibility. And they go, well, man, why do I got to go to your church, serve your God? And you're just the same as me. Where is God's glory in that church? Where is his glory in that? I mean, I know that these thoughts hit us all. We always say things like, man, God, I've been serving you longer than them. Why are they getting such the royal treatment? Or, man, look what God did for them. I mean, like, that person did everything they ever wanted, lived a crazy lifestyle, seemed to, like, live it up. Then they come to Christ and they still got a good life now that, they, now that they're serving Christ. And we think, here I've been pure my whole life. and What was in it for me? Don't we have those thoughts? I have those thoughts. The devil, devil likes to make me think like that if he can. He, does he like to make you think that way? I mean, it happened even in, in, in the Bible. My favorite example in the Bible of this, we're not going to turn there, but just write in your notes, Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. And Asaph is looking at the world and he says, man, God, my life is, what's in this thing for me, God? Look at those wicked people. They're happy all day long. They're out there partying, living it up. They got no cares in the world. They're not concerned. They're not concerned about eternity. They're not worried about anything. They're just happy-go-lucky. They're blessed in everything they do. And here I am, God, serving you. It's boring, and I just do these holy things, but they're not fun. Oh, what's in it for me, God? You should read that psalm. He says, then he goes into the presence of the Lord. And he remembered, the Lord reminded him that everybody has a day of judgment coming. And those who shirk responsibility in this life promise you pay for it in the next. But those who are responsible to the Word of God, responsible to the principles laid forth in His kingdom, they enjoy a rich reward. A hundred times more in this life and in the next to come eternal life. Proverbs 23 17 and 18 says this Don't let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. We've got to remember what's headed our way and live for that reward. God wants us to see responsibility as a great opportunity for his glory. Are we givers? Contributing to bringing glory to God? Or are we takers? Shying away from responsibility, thus denying God glory that's due His name. It's how you and I view responsibility that will determine the outcome. It's like this little story. There was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. we got to take up responsibility. we got to see it as a great opportunity to give God glory. Listen to this verse. I read it the other day and talk about rocking my world. Psalm 122 verse 9. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let me read this one more time. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And the Lord just started dropping this in my spirit. He said, Nick, if you want Family Life Church to be blessed, you personally, Nick, you've got to seek hard after me, seek after my goodness. You want your family to be blessed, Nick? You, personally, seek me hard. You, personally, seek after my goodness. Your family will be blessed. How many of us come to church, honestly, how many of us come to church on Sunday morning thinking, for the sake of everyone else that will be there this Sunday, I'm coming to seek God hard? Or do we just think, oh, if I can just make it, oh, I just, whew. I made it to church. Oh, Survived another week. Now listen, I mean, I know that there's some weeks like that. I know that. I know that. But how about saying, God, for the sake of those people in my pew, man, I'm going to worship like there's no tomorrow today. How about, man, for the sake of those people that are going to respond to the altar call today, who need you, God, I'm going to be seeking you hard, letting you know that your presence is welcome here. I really believe this. Every one of us should probably be losing some sleep over this church at night. Why? Because we should all be taking responsibility for this thing, saying, this is my church. And according to the measure that I dig in, that I seek the goodness of God, for according to that measure, for the sake of my church, this place will be blessed. Listen, if you don't like your job, take responsibility Begin to say, this is, this is my sphere. This is my world. For the sake of the, of, of the atmosphere of this workplace, I'm going to start seeking you, God, because the atmosphere of this workplace needs to change. So I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm not going to wait for someone else to do it. And I'm going to begin to seek you, God, on behalf of this workplace, and I promise you your workplace will change. How about for your families? You don't like the family you got, or you're upset with your relationship with your spouse or something. Well, how about this? How about you take responsibility? Say, for the sake of my family, God, I'm coming hard after you. I'm going to come hard after you, God, because I know if I can seek you hard, if I will take up responsibility for this family, God, you'll pour out a blessing upon it. How about for the church, huh? How about for the church? How about for the sake of Pastor Todd? I'm gonna walk through those doors, I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna be ready. Ready for wherever he wants to go because I'm seeking you hard, God, so that I'm ready for wherever this thing's going. Whatever you wanna do, Holy Spirit, I'm ready because I've been seeking you hard all week so you won't have any problems with me being a hindrance to you touching your people. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I'm going to seek the goodness of God. I'm going to take responsibility so that God's glory can be released. Listen, when we avoid responsibility, we will run off course. You will. The moment you begin to look at responsibility as a burden and as a chore, that's the moment you're going to begin to drift away from the things that God has for you. The Bible's very clear. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Since all this is true, we ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. You can never, listen, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you a secret, a secret in the kingdom of God. You can never stop being intentional About the way that you live for God. Never. You can never stop being intentional about the way that you live for God. And when we begin to lay down responsibility, we're laying down the very thing that helps keep us going after Him and seeking Him more. We begin to drift. It was taught to me when I was an intern, I've taught it to our interns tell them all the time stay plugged in stay in plugged in. Stay in a place where you have some sort of responsibility, whether you just gotta, you know, whether you're a youth leader, whether you get plugged into a men's group once you leave the internship, or you get saved, man, join a life group. Why do we preach that all the time? Because when you stay in a place that puts some type of responsibility on you, it keeps you accountable, it keeps you honest, it keeps you going after the Lord saying, God, I'm gonna be with those guys next week, I don't want to let them down, or I'm gonna be meeting with my girlfriends God, and I don't want to let them down. Responsibility is such a good thing. We can give glory to God through it. We keep seeking Him because of it. Hebrews 5, 11, and 12 says this. Concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. Since you've become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. Wow, what a compliment. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's Word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. What was happening in this day in which Hebrews was written still happens today. Men and women begin to look at responsibility as a burden. They begin to avoid it. Thus they become dull. They forget what, one, what they once knew and they need to start all over again with baby food. I'll bet every single one of us in this auditorium this morning can think of someone we know. Perhaps many people that we know. They once burned bright for God. We looked at them and said, man, God, if I could have a passion like that person, oh, then I would be serving you. Then I'd really be doing something. And then that person begins to get tired of responsibility. They forget that it's a gift in order to bring glory to God. They say, well, I'm just going to take a break from teaching. I'm just going to take a break from leading this. That break turns into a month, a few months, a few years. Pretty soon, there's no fire in him at all for the Lord. I know you guys can think of people. I can think of people. I graduated with 40 people in my ministry school. Not even half of them. Not even half of them are living for God anymore. Why is that? He said, I've I've had enough with responsibility. The very gift that God gave them to keep them close to Him, they walk away from, they drift. They drift. They began to ask, what's in it for me from a selfish angle? They were like those vineyard workers saying, tired of working hard all day. What's in it for me? That guy's not been serving you as long and they're still getting all the good stuff. They got tired of the responsibility. They got tired of it. Didn't see it as an opportunity to work with God longer and they drifted you know it's sad but it's true all too often as soon as you stop serving the kingdom you stop serving the king God doesn't get glory from us when we seek to live a safe and sanitized life He doesn't get any glory out of us. When we shy away from responsibility. When we're unwilling to do our part in the Kingdom. What's in it for me? What's in it for us, church? What's in it for me if I become a Christian? What's in it is this. For the faithful, you get responsibility. For those who shoulder that responsibility, you get to see the glory of God displayed through your life. It's not yours, but you get to see it firsthand. So how do you see responsibility? Would you stand? for a moment who are our heroes of the faith who do we look up to men and women of God who avoided responsibility is that why they're our heroes Or the people we think about when we think about great men and women of the faith are they the people who said I'll be responsible I'll do it God And we see them live amazing lives for the glory of God. Oswald Sanders says this, when God does find a person who's ready to lead, to commit to full discipleship and take on responsibility for others, that person is used to the limit. We must aim to put more into life than what we take out. Are you ready to commit? Are you ready to commit to responsibility? Are you ready to commit to seeing responsibility as an avenue by which you can bring glory to God? I'm going to pray for three groups of people this morning. I really feel this. There's, There's one group of people in here. You're afraid of taking on responsibility. You're afraid that if you surrender to the Lord, and you let Him control your life, you're afraid that you'll be unhappy. You're afraid that you won't enjoy your life. You're afraid that God will wear you out, wring you out. You'll be tired and exhausted all the time. Do not forget that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. Don't be afraid to take on responsibility. There's another group of people here in this room today. You're like Asaph. If you read that psalm, he says, my feet nearly slipped. He just about stumbled and fell. You're just about to slip into seeing responsibility as a burden, as as something to begrudge, something to avoid. God is wanting to tell you today, don't slip. Don't shy away from your responsibility. I have purpose for you. I still have things I want you to do. Yes, it's work. I'm not saying it's not work. But it is a privilege to co-labor with the creator of this universe. To be used by God. To do something for Him. God would say to you, get your perspective back. Get your perspective on responsibility back. And there's a third group of people here in this room today that God wants us to pray for. You've not even signed up to join God's team. I mean you don't even you're not you're not even not even a part. I want to pray for you. Here's what we're going to do, man. I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes this morning. I'm going to be very very clear. This morning If you're in this first group of people, you are afraid of taking on the responsibility that God's Spirit has been speaking to you. You know there are some things that God wants you to step out and do, but you are afraid of taking on that responsibility for God, I want you to just simply raise your hand. Raise your hand. Let me see. Yeah, because I want to pray for you. I see your hand on my left. I see it on my left. I see your hands on the right. On my right, I see your hands. Okay, thank you. You can put your hands down. I'll pray for you in just a second. That second group of people, you have been living for God. You have been taking up responsibility, but you're, you're slipping to that point where you're getting tired and you're saying, I don't want to anymore. It's time for someone else to do it. It's time for, you're, you're, you're tempted to shirk that responsibility. You're starting to lose kingdom res- perspective on responsibility. And you knew God was speaking to you today. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to regain my perspective on what responsibility is. I, I see those hands in the front see hands on my left, on my right. I see them up all over the place. Okay. Thank you. You can put them down. How about that third group of people? You said, I'm not even, I I don't even believe in God yet. I've, I've never given my life to the Lord. How can I even be responsible for the things of his kingdom when he's not even my king yet? Raise your hand if you would say, Jesus is not my savior. He is not my king. I am not living for him, but I want you to pray for me. I want to. Would you raise your hand? I see your hand over here on my left. Any other hands? just want to take a minute. Listen, would you do this? Do me this one favor. If you raised your hand for any of those groups, you're afraid of responsibility, you're beginning to see responsibility in the wrong way, or you you raised your hand and said, I want Jesus to become my king. I want to live for him. Would you come down here and join me? If you raised your hand for any of those three, please come join me. Because look, I am standing down here now. I'm not up here as a pastor. I'm down here. I'm down here as a man saying, God, I don't want to be afraid of responsibility. I don't ever want to lose sight on what responsibility is all about. Please, come join me. We're going to pray together this morning. If I could have some altar workers come and just lay a hand on the shoulder behind them in a moment... In a moment, an altar worker is going to say, turn around and just say, how can I pray for you? And they're going to pray with you about your specific need. But I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer right now. Church, would you just close your eyes, stretch out your hands towards this altar area as people are responding to God. The Spirit of God is touching their hearts, speaking to their spirits this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word. And I thank you for your people that are responding to your word with a whole heart. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would not be afraid of responsibility. Father, help us to not be afraid To not be afraid to say, Lord, I will do that which you have called me to do. Lord, in the name of Jesus, right now, we just bind fear. We bind the lies of the enemy that are trying to deceive us and keep us from living for you and shouldering responsibility and taking up that which you are asking us to do. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus for those who have been responsible, they've been doing it, but their feet have almost slipped, God. They've begun to look at responsibility as a burden, as a chore, instead of a gift from God. Father, I pray that you would renew a kingdom perspective in them. Renew a kingdom mindset, God. That responsibility, it's a great privilege, Father. It draws us closer to you. It keeps us walking next to you. Father, it keeps us experiencing your presence, and it keeps us in a place of safety and dependency upon you. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. As they say, God, I will continue to be thankful for responsibility. I will continue to do that which you have asked me to do. And God, I pray for those this morning that said, Lord, I want you to be my king. I want to serve your kingdom. I want to live for you. God, would you touch them this morning? Pour your spirit out upon them. Lord, in the name of Jesus, touch your people this morning. Father, I thank you and I praise you for this service today. I thank you for this time together. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would just flow across this entire auditorium. Touch your people this morning. Don't let your word fall on hard ground, but God, I pray that throughout this week that your word would dig deep into our spirits, that when we truly grasp what responsibility is, the privilege that it is, and the joy that it is to bring you glory and honor by becoming responsible men and women in your kingdom. God, now bless your people today. Take them as they go their ways. Let your presence be upon them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.